What a joy it is for me to have the opportunity to welcome you to worship today. Once again, we're in challenging days when we're having our service presented online and by television rather than being able to meet in our service. But we're looking forward to the time we can gather together again. But please remember that the Lord is right there where you are and he's right here where I am. And he's here to speak to us and we're here to worship him. So join in as our choir and as the praise team will be leading worship. Join in and let that place where you are be filled with the Spirit of God and the worship of God. And open the Word of God to 2 Kings chapter 8. That's where we'll be studying today as we continue our study on revival. We're so glad you're taking this time to be ministered to and to minister to others as we worship together. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to go ahead and turn to 2 Kings chapter 8. We're continuing our study as we study through revival. Remember that this year, 2020, is the year of revival. And I've been focusing on messages that specifically have to do with revival. In the last few weeks we've been together, we've talked about the story of a deeper committed life. That being the life of the Shunammite woman that we talked about in great detail for two Sundays in chapter 4. Just to remind you, she was this woman who was a prominent woman who, when she met Elisha, she wanted to invite him into her home. But eventually, she realizes that he's a man of God and she wants to make an upper chamber in her home and, and to fill it with a place that would make him a place that would be his place in her home. And what a, what a significant decision that was and, and what a much deeper level of commitment it took for her to do that. And because she did that, she received some rewards from God. One of those rewards we looked at was the fact that there is this reward of God wanting to bless her. It was asked, what can we do to, or what can I do to bless you? The man of God said, and she said, there's really nothing I need. But then whenever the man of God goes further, said, what can we do for the Shunammite? They discover that she hasn't had a child and doesn't have a son and her husband is older. So the promise of God was that this year, this time next year, you will have a son. And at that time, you realize how much she wanted that and needed that. And that became a reality. The next year she had that child and God chose to bless her, look to bless her. And one of the rewards of a deeper committed life is that God is looking for ways to bless you. I don't know about you, but I, I, want to, I want God to look and to try to find and discover any way he can to pour a blessing on me. But there was a second uh, story we talked about, and the second part of that story and reward was the fact that whenever there comes a need, she has an audience with God. If you remember, that boy grew up, and he was a lad now at that point, but he got sick one day. His head was hurting when he was out in the field with his father. Father sent him to his mother, and there he dies on his mother's lap. But she takes him and places him on the bed up in the upper chamber of the room where the man of God lived, and then she gets on a donkey and goes to see the man of God. And she says when she goes that she's going to go and she's going to return, and it will be well. We find out that whenever the man of God sees her coming, that he sends his servant to find out what's wrong with the Shunammite and ask, is it well with your husband? Is it well with you? Is it well with your son? And she said, it is well, even though it wasn't well in her heart. 
She makes her way to the man of God and falls down and grabs him by the ankles. Remember that when she, how she treats the man of God is how she responds to God. And it's as though she's grabbing the ankles of God and saying to God, God, I have this need. And Gehazi wanted to push her away, but he would, but the man of God said, no, leave her alone. She has a troubled heart and God has not revealed to me what it is, but let her speak. And she goes on and, and lets him know that she's grieved in her heart because this son that she had hoped for, longed for, and had been promised and given has now died and her heart is broken. At that time, the man of God sends Gehazi, his servant with the, his staff to lay it on the boy that the boy might see if he could resuscitate. But, but the Shunammite says, I'm not going with him. I'm not going with the servant of God. As, as powerful as he might be and as significant as that staff might be, I'm not going with him. I'm waiting for you. And she waits till the man of God goes with her back to her home in Shunamm. And whenever the man of God goes back, he finds out that Gehazi comes and says the staff didn't resuscitate the boy. So the man of God makes his way into the house, goes into the upper chamber, shuts the room, and then he lays on the boy and prays over him, gets back up, prays again, and goes lays on him, and the boy is resuscitated, and he gives his life, he gives his life and his body back to his mother, and she's rejoicing because she has her son alive. It lets us know that she has the opportunity of having an audience with God, just as the man of God. She has the audience with God, and God allowed her to let her be known what was the need, and he traveled, the man of God traveled, and met her need at that time. So those are two of the rewards. That, that first reward, God wants to bless her, and the second reward is she has an audience with Almighty God in her time of need. Well, today, I want us to look a few chapters over. A lot of time when people study about the Shunammite woman, they think about the only story there is the story in chapter 4, but that's not true. The story actually continues in chapter 8. A second part of this story, and it lets us know two other rewards that we have when we have a deeper commitment level to God. And I want us to see here in 2 Kings chapter 8, I want to read the passage for you. And after we read, we'll identify these two rewards. Verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, Now Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go with your household and sojourn wherever you can sojourn. For the Lord has called for a famine, and it shall even come on the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. And she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And it came about at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines. And she went out to appeal to the king for her house and for her field. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Please relate to me all the great things that Elisha has done. And it came about as he was relating to the king how he had restored to life the one who was dead, that behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and for her field. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. When the king asked the woman, she related it to him. So the king appointed for her a certain uh, officer, saying, 
Restore all that was hers and all the produce of the field from the day that she left the land even until now. I want to talk to you today about two other rewards that a person experiences when they have this deeper level of commitment. One of those rewards is the fact that God will make known. He will make known upcoming events to people who have that deeper level of commitment. Now, do you hear what I'm I'm saying? It's the fact that God makes known what is going to be happening out there in the future for that one who has the deeper level of commitment. The first chapter, the first verse of this chapter says that the man of God, Elisha, came and told that Shunammite woman, this thing said, what I want you to know is that there's a famine coming on this land and that you and your family need to go and to sojourn wherever you might sojourn. He didn't tell her where where she has to go, but that she needs to leave this land, and she needs to sojourn there. And not only is there a famine that's coming, the Lord is bringing a famine, but that famine is going to last for seven years. Now imagine this. Before that famine ever happens, the man of God comes and tells the Shunammite woman, you and your household get up, go to some other land where there's not going to be a famine because there's a famine coming on this land and you're going to need to stay there for seven years. You're going to need to stay there and that's where you're going to be taken care of and where you're going to have food to eat. But that's what you have to do because this is what's going to take place. God is revealing to her something that's going to happen before it ever happens so that she'll be prepared and she can be protected. Now, that is an unbelievable thought about that, that God would do that. But we certainly know that God can. God is an all-knowing God. He knows everything that's going to happen. And therefore, if he chooses to let somebody know something before it happens in order to prepare them, he can do that. And he does that with the Shunammite woman. And one thing it says is that she was willing to be obedient, that she went and did exactly what the man of God, what God told her to do. She gathers up her household. She goes over to the land of the Philistines and she's going to stay there for seven years because there is where God is going to take care of her during that time of famine. As I was studying this this week and thinking about it, I thought about that ought to be a word of encouragement to you and me. You know, we think two and three weeks of being quarantined or two and three weeks of not being able to do the normal things we do is something that we don't know how we can stand. How would you like to have to leave your homeland and to go and to sojourn in a place for seven years? And that's what she was going to have to do and what she was willing to do. For seven years, she was there in the land of the Philistines while the famine was in her homeland. Wow. That lets us know something about this woman. Her commitment level is such that whatever God would tell her to do is that she would do it. And and I wonder if that's not why God was willing to reveal to her through the man of God what was going to happen because he knows that when she gets the word from God, she will be obedient to that word. It also makes me question sometimes if the reason we don't get a word from God about those future events or about those things that are happening is because maybe God can't trust us. Maybe our commitment level is not such that if we heard it that we would actually do it. And if we had the commitment level that we'd be obedient to whatever God told us to do, that he would make those things known to us. 
You might say, well, Brother Mac, does, does that really apply to us today? Do you really think that God would make known events in the lives of people or what's going to happen around them before it happens so that they could be prepared? I believe that's so. And I, and I have a good basis for believing that for two very good examples that you find in the Bible. One of those is the Lord Jesus himself. The Lord Jesus, when he came here to this earth, it says he emptied himself of the attributes of God. That means that he wasn't omnipresent anymore. He was in one body here on this earth. He, he, he wasn't omnipotent anymore, but rather it was the power that God gave to him as he walked as a man, as that God-man, to reveal that power. It even lets us know that he's not omniscient. He doesn't know all things that he is when he is here because he said he didn't know when the end of time would be. Only the Father would know that. So he emptied himself of those attributes to take on the form of man so it revealed to us what man is to be like and, and what God intended man originally with Adam to be like, to have that perfect fellowship and relationship with God depending on God. And that's what Jesus did. He says, whenever he walked in the book of John, he says, as he walked here, that he, he did the things he saw his father doing. He spoke the words that he heard his father speak. And what he simply was saying is that he's totally and absolutely dependent upon the father, that has he lived his life as man here to be dependent on the father to reveal what he would need to know. And we know that when that happens, there are times that Jesus knows things ahead of time in order to minister, in order to prepare him for that ministry. One of those things happens with the woman on the well, at the well. I mean, he knew that she had five husbands and was living with someone who was her husband. She, he knew that when he met her at the well. How did he know that? Because God the Father had revealed that to him. Whenever it came to calling Nathaniel, it says, I knew you while you were yet under the fig tree. All throughout the ministry of Jesus, you find that God the Father reveals to him things that he's going to need to know, things that are going to help him in order to prepare him or to protect him or to fulfill God's purpose. Now, you might say, well, but that's Jesus. I mean, Jesus is special. Jesus is different. You're right, Jesus is special, but Jesus is an example of what we're supposed to be like and how we're supposed to live. And the same thing that God did with Jesus, He would choose to do with us if we are deeply committed. But in case that you're thinking, well, that's Jesus, what about somebody else? Another example, well, the Apostle Paul is an excellent example. If you remember when Paul was on his final missionary journey and he was headed back to go to the temple in Jerusalem, that he was forewarned by prophets and prophetesses and all of these different people on his journey that if you go back to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest you. They're going to bind you. And he was told that, but it didn't keep Paul from going. He said, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to the temple. And sure enough, when he goes to the temple, he is accused and he is arrested at that time. But he had already been told by God that that's going to happen to you. Why? Because I think God wanted to prepare his heart. And I think God wanted to also help him to be protected and to have in his mind what he's going to need to do whenever he's arrested. Because Paul has great wisdom as he appeals to Caesar. And when he appeals to Caesar, he's protected from the Jews in Jerusalem as he's carried out to Caesarea by the sea. 
On another occasion on that is he's on that ship traveling and journeying towards Rome. You remember when the ship goes through the storm that God revealed to Paul as he told to all those on the ship, God has revealed to me that none of us will die and that I will not die in this storm because I am going to go to Rome. God had already told him what was going to happen in the midst of the storm as they made their way through the storm and it promised him that he was going to Rome. God had made known that to Paul to prepare him and to protect him and to get him ready for what things might be there happening in the future. I believe God does that for us. I believe that if we will listen to the heart of God and, and we'll spend time in his word, I believe there are times when God will speak his word to us. And we might not even understand about that word at that particular point in time. But later we're going to understand that that word was a word I needed for what I was yet to face. And that God can speak to our heart and minister to us and, and let us know that things are happening, that we can be protected or we can be prepared and ready for what is yet to come. Because when we see through a glass dimly, God sees face to face. When we don't know anything except what is happening right in front of our face, God knows what's going to happen from beginning to end. And God wants us to be prepared, and He wants us to be ready. And one of the precious, precious gifts God gives to us is the opportunity that He would speak to us and to let us know what is about to happen so that we might be prepared and that we might be obedient to do whatever He would tell us to do. Just as the Shunammite was told by Elisha, get your family ready, move them to wherever you need to move them. There's a famine coming by the hand of God. It's going to last for seven years, but God wants you to be protected and for you to be obedient. And she was, and it revealed the plan of God. I want us to be that obedient. I want us to hear what God says. And when God says it, that we will respond just as she did. And we'll be prepared and protected for what might be happening in our future. But there's a second reward in this passage. And that second reward has to do with after those seven years. It begins there in verse 3. After the seven years, she decides it's time for her to come home. And so she's coming home. And when she comes home, she is going to go to the king and she's going to make an appeal She's going to make an appeal to the king and she's going to ask him to restore her house, all that precious house where that chamber had been built for the man of God, you remember, to restore her house and to restore her field. Now, she's been gone for seven years. Other people have probably used it. They probably squatted on the land. They probably tried to use it for some use in the midst of those famine years. She's been gone for seven years, but she's going to come back and she's going to make an appeal to the king for her things to be restored. Well, here is that fourth reward of a committed life that God restores all that has been lost. God restores all that has been lost. Here comes the Shunammite to the king to make this appeal for her house and her land. But something else is happening at the very same time that she's on her way to make the appeal. It tells us in verse 4 that the king at that time, Jehoram is his name, he's invited Gehazi. You remember Gehazi? He's the servant of the man of God. He invited Gehazi in and he wants to have conversation with Gehazi. And he asked Gehazi this, relate to me the wonderful stories and the wonderful things that Elisha has done. 
Oh, we know so many of those things that Elisha has done. He, he made bad water good. He makes poisonous stew where people can eat of it. He, he does all kinds of miraculous things. But the greatest event that ever happened in the life of Elisha would have had to been when a boy was dead and was brought back to life. I mean, that would have to be the, the top story. If somebody said, what is the number one story that you want to tell about Elisha's ministry? Gehazi knew what that was. He tells the story of when the boy who was given to the Shunammite dies, and Elisha comes back and prays for him, and life is given back to the boy. A dead boy comes back to life. There could be no greater miracle than that. So Gehazi is giving that story, telling that story to the king at the very time that the Shunammite woman comes to make her appeal for her house and her land. Now, you might wonder, is that coincidence or is that providence? Well, I'm here to tell you it's not coincidence. That was the mighty hand of God working. And why is he working? He's working because he wants to reward that Shunammite for her deeper level of commitment with restoring all that she has lost. So here is Gehazi telling that story to the king about the Shunammite and the Shunammite and her son walk up to the king. And when Gehazi's finishing the story, he simply says to the king, this is the woman that I told you about and this is her son who has been restored to life. That is the hand of God. That is the plan of God whereby she is going to find favor with the king. The king then talks to the Shunammite woman and ask him about it and and they relate the story from their perspective about what happened and that glorious miracle that took place and whenever they do that the king is so moved in his heart that he calls a certain officer and he says I want you to do this for the the Shunammite I, I want you to do this for her and her son I want you to restore her house and restore her land Give her that back that she's been away from for seven years. I want you to give her house and her land back to her. But that's not all. He says, and I also want you to give her all the produce that her land has produced over these seven years. From the time that the famine started until this day, I want you to restore all that the land, whatever the land may, give her all of that produce back. She has been given everything back that she lost. Why was she given? Why is it that the king, or God more importantly, would restore all the things that she lost? Because she had a deeper level of commitment. A deeper level of commitment. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you understand that when you have a deeper level of commitment, that God wants to restore to you and to me all that we've lost? And you might say, well, well, Brother Mac, what have I lost? Oh, we lost so very much whenever man sinned. Do you realize that when Adam sinned, we lost so very many things that, that God promised to us and wanted to give to us? But if we will have a walk with God and a deeper level of commitment with God, God says that He'll restore all that we have lost. Everything that we lost, everything that got stolen away by the old enemy, everything that Adam forfeited because of his sin, all of that can be restored to us 
because we have that deeper level of commitment in our walk with God and in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I, can I just share a few of those? I mean, you can study in the Bible for days about what can be restored that we have lost. But let me just give you a few of those. One of those is our place. Our place. You, you, you realize that whenever man, God created man, He gave us dominion. He gave us authority. He gave us the right and the power to represent Him in this world. But whenever Adam sinned, we lost that authority. We lost that dominion. You know, Satan, he became the God of this world. And he began to rule over this world. And, and we were hindered and hampered in so many ways, that, except when Jesus came back. When Jesus came back, He, he defeated sin, Satan, and death. He took back the keys of authority. And he said to us that we are joint heirs with him, that we are a priest and kings before Almighty God, and that we have authority through the church of the living God. And whenever we come to him in a deeper level of commitment, we get our place restored, that place of power, that place of authority, that place of dominion that we had lost. You know something else that we regain? We regain our glory you realize that whenever God created Adam, that he was, he was full of the glory of God? The Shekinah glory of God shined all over him and around him because he was the perfect creation of God. But when man sinned, we lost the glory. We lost that Shekinah glory of God. It had to leave and depart because we were full of sin. The world lost all of the presence of God and the way it had been because sin began to dominate this world. That was till Jesus came. And when Jesus came, died on the cross, paid the price for sin, and made the way for you and me, He gave us the opportunity to have the glory of God restored into our life. And how do you get the glory of God? You get the glory of God because you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and life and the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within you. You have God Almighty living within your heart and in your life and the glory of God is restored. And the deeper your level of commitment, the greater the glory of God is revealed in and through your heart and through your life. You get the glory restored because of that deeper level of commitment that you have. Oh, there are other things. What about the peace of God? The peace of God, to be in right relationship with God, to be in right relationship with man, to have that experience in your heart, to know that as far as it concerns you, that you're in right relationship with others. We lost that peace in the garden, but we get that peace back when the Prince of Peace comes into our heart and into our life. Wow, what a wonderful thing it is that He restores the peace of God. What about the joy of the Lord? The joy of the Lord is my strength. And we receive the joy of the Lord. That's that internal happiness, that internal pleasure that is birthed within our heart and within our life. And that joy comes to our heart because God restores that joy when Jesus Christ comes into our heart and our life. If you'll notice, I'm just really going through what is the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. All of those things and many, many other things God restores to those who have a deeper level of commitment. One final thing I'd like to share with you, though, that restored to us, and that is our destiny. Our destiny. God created us for all eternity. He wanted us to be in fellowship forever and ever with Him. But whenever sin happened in the garden, we lost that. 
That sin meant that it cost us death. It cost us to be in a place called hell that God didn't want us to be. And God never created it for man. We were destined for a sinner's hell. But you know, when Jesus came, when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus gave his life for us, he restored to us the destiny of heaven, the destiny of eternity, to be able to be in that place forever and ever and ever where God dwells and where those who have that deeper level of commitment will dwell with God. See, that promise of God of restoring all that is lost is for every person who has that deeper level of commitment. Two rewards we've talked about today. That reward of being able to be told by God things yet to come that you can be protected and prepared and ready for facing whatever it might be. And then the fact that God would give to us all that was lost whenever sin came into the world and restore to us all that He wants us to have Restore, not because we deserve it, but because of His kindness, His goodness, and grace, because we are committed to Him. Could I challenge you, friend? Could I ask you this? If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, just what I shared a moment ago should make you want Jesus above everything else. I mean, you should want the joy of the Lord, the peace of God. You should want the destiny of eternity in heaven. You should want to know that the glory of God is in your heart and in your life. You should want Jesus more than anything, just based on the fact of what he restores to us. And then I want to challenge you, child of God, where is your commitment level? Is it that casual Christianity we've been talking about? Are you deeply committed to the Lord God? That whatever he would tell you to do, you would do. That you would make your home, your life, your house, his home, his life. And that he is there not because you invite him in at convenience, but because he's part of your life. He's part of your family. Have you made that deeper level of commitment? If you and I are going to experience revival, it's going to be because we are not satisfied with casual Christianity, but we want a much deeper level of Christianity, of commitment in our heart and in our life. We don't have an opportunity to have a formal invitation, but there's an invitation waiting for you right now because the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, speaking to your life, and the Spirit of God is waiting for you to make that commitment that you need to make right here and right now. I want to pray with you, and I want us to pray together. And then if there's anything that we can do to help you, There'll be a number on your screen that you can call, leave a message. We'll get back in touch with you. We're here to help you, minister to you. We're not going to let this virus and not being able to be together keep us anyway from ministering to you personally and helping you in whatever way we can. You just simply need to call. Let us know how we can do that. Now, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the worship of Jesus. Thank you for the truth that's been presented and help us to live it. I pray for that person who doesn't know Jesus, that today would be the day they'd give their heart to Christ, that ask Him to be Lord and Savior of their life, that they'd confess their sin before Him and believe in Him as the Son of God. I pray for us as believers, Lord, that You'll draw us to a deeper level of commitment. I pray even now as we're going through these experiences of not being able to do the things we used to do, worship when we want to worship, where we'd like to worship, that, Lord, You'd give us a hunger in our spirit to have a deeper, closer walk with You. We love You and we thank You. And we know that You're in charge and we'll rest in You looking forward to that day 
we'll worship together again. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.